This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. This episode is a big one for me. Uh, never really had any nerves leading up to an interview. Do a touch on this one. Wanted to kind of hit you before I did the interview. Here in about 10 minutes, Mr. Jim Shockey is going to be giving me a call. And I've got a nice little layout. I've got 30 minutes with him. And I am incredibly grateful for him spending his time to chat with me uh, and, and my podcast. Adrea got this set up, so big thanks to her. Jim, Mr. Jim Shockey is one of those influential leaders in the in the hunting industry that that I think just about everybody can uh, get on board with saying is is quite an influential leader, a great great human being, and has done some wonderful things for hunting. So this is going to be a fun and uh, exciting interview. So don't know quite what to expect yet, other than I've listened to a few of his interviews and uh, been watching him since I was a little kid. So we'll see how this goes. Appreciate you all listening. Good morning, Mr. Jim Shockey. Hey, Clint. How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? Uh, Totally wonderful here sunny and looking like it's going to be a nice day for a little bit anyway yeah i would imagine you guys get plenty of rain plenty of plenty yeah, of we, yeah normally normally and by this time the rain's gone and we, we get sunny skies just about every day for you know several months at least until october but uh but it looks like the rain's going to hang on for about another i don't know three or four days and then 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 it'll start. It will dry right out here. Yeah, um, I'm in South Dakota, and we uh, we are uh, a little drier than normal. I'm in the Black Hills area, 
not too bad. We've already had a forest fire before everything greened up, so that was a little early for a pretty big fire, but um, hopefully continued rains throughout the, the spring and summer for us. So, um, but anyway, I, I really appreciate you coming on my show cause, uh, I'm, I'm a small time podcaster and have a regular day job. So, uh, this speaks volumes of, of you. So I'm, I have a ton of gratitude for that, that, uh, you're able to come on and give me a half hour of your time. So, yeah, no, it's not, I mean, it's not a problem at all. It, you know, my time is limited these days, but, uh, but I'm happy to help out whenever I can and wherever I can. Yeah. So I want to jump right into it because I just, I don't even want to talk. I just want to hear from you, <laughs> really. So, uh, yeah. but I, I've got a series of questions for you just uh, around uh, um, is it some culture related things, some uh, kind of what's left on your bucket list, what's, uh, um, and, and so on. So, uh, but first thing is, is a kind of a hunting strategy piece that I have. So my goal this year is to be a better hunter. And I know that sounds really broad, really obvious for all hunters. Uh, it's, it holds true, uh, to so many average Joe hunters, just like myself, who've been hunting since we were 12 or so. And, uh, I'm not talking about being a better shot necessarily being stronger physically, but more so to move through the landscape with precision and stealth into where we can find success by getting in range more more often than not um i feel like sometimes as i spot a mule deer or a whitetail or whatever it is off in the distance almost like it's going to be a stroke of luck for me to get there I mean, i'm not a new hunter but uh, i've got a lot of um, i've got a 40 hour work week and so on and and so i'm not i'm not in the field a ton a ton uh, my new job allows me to be in the field uh quite a bit doing supported hunts with, with new hunters, but, uh, and that'll be a new thing for me, but what was there a moment in your hunting career that things clicked for you to take it to the next level that you were able to put stocks on animals that you just were more successful at it? Uh, you know, it, it, well, first, first of all, defining success on a hunt is, um, the first thing any hunter has to do is it, you know, getting close to the animal, you know, getting the animal, that, that's not success in the hunt. Just right. being out there, the ability to, you know, even go hunting and, and see the animals, that's success. You know, the fresh air, the exercise, you know, the, the skills that you develop. So, so, you know, the first thing I think is really important not to put the onus on getting the animal uh, to determine whether that's a successful hunt or not. Because that... What it does, it puts pressure, and and when there's pressure, it, it's it's more difficult for people to perform. I mean, you know, I, I golf. I, I can make a two foot putt, you know, in my sleep a hundred times out of a hundred, until it's a two foot putt to win the club championship. <laughs> you know, then then it's you know there's pressure. So so why did I why did I not sink the putt? And that's the exact same thing on hunting when you. You know, I mean, you, you basically set yourself up for for um, not getting close to animals when you said, I've got 40 hours of work week and I've got a, I don't have so much time. I got to, you know, that's pressure. So, so you have to remove that pressure. And, 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 uh, I, you know, I guess it, it sounds kind of yoga y, but, uh, you got to be in the moment. Um, and, and 
do what's right regardless of how that how important getting that animal might be to you so you have to remove that importance it's not that's not uh, that doesn't determine the success of a hunt what what you know what determines are all the things you were doing up to that point and the things you'll do after whether you get the animal or not that's success so once you remove the pressure and and just accept that you know it's not that important to kill this animal then you'll start making decisions that are the right decisions on on a on that moment, on that stock, in that situation, you know, with the wind, whatever it is. And you know what? There's times you can't make the stock. There's times you can't do it. And and, and so you didn't fail uh, on your hunt, you know, to succeed to get the animal when you tried to make the stock. It's because you, nobody could have made the stock. It was not possible. The wind was wrong. The, you know, the conditions were imperfect. The animal wasn't doing what it needed to be doing. So, you know, once you accept that there is, there's no pressure to make the stock, then you wait. You, you be patient. <clears throat> it's, you know, it's the reason I missed that two-foot putt and to win the club championship, which, by the way, I actually didn't. Uh, oh, I'm not that good a golfer. I came fourth. But, but uh, the, the reason anybody misses those putts is because they, they're stressed. They, they push it. They you know, try too hard, you know, they, and they tighten up, they, and in hunting, you force the, the stock, you go when you shouldn't go. And it's because, you know, oh, if I don't get this, it's, you know, failed hundreds. You, you, you just wait, just wait, be patient. It's, it's amazing how many times when you're patient, hunter's luck comes into play. You know, uh, who knows what a coyote goes on the other side of the, the deer and it looks at the coyote and jumps out of his bed and, and runs right towards you and looks back at the coyote and there you are within distance because you waited. If you tried to stalk in on that animal right then in those in that situation with, with the animals offering you, you, you would have blown it and scared it away. So, you know, the coyote helps you. You know, now there's hunter's luck, to, you know, bad luck too. As you're being there patiently waiting, the wind changes and, and uh, the buck smells you and runs away but if the situation wasn't right to sneak in on that animal you would have blown it anyway so so like i say the the, the you, you sort of set yourself up for for having a, a a stock not work out when as soon as you said that i only get so much time and and uh if you're trying to be you're, you're trying it's not about trying it's about patience and waiting for the opportunity when the opportunity is right taking advantage of that opportunity maybe you have to find that animal the second day you know but at least you didn't blow them out of the country the first day yeah uh, and you know it's a, these are these are decisions that you know it's easy for me to say at, at this point in my career i've done a lot of hunting so so I, you know i don't feel any pressure on any animal i don't care yeah. if it's the world record whatever you know I, i'm enjoying the time in the moment of and loving the the challenge of getting close to the animal, but you know my world's not going to really change if I don't get that animal. You know, if I get to go hunting, you know, if it's meat, I get to go on another hunt in a week anyway or two weeks. So, you know, it's easy for me to say, and and you know, it wasn't wasn't that easy for me to do back when I was younger. And, uh, you know, just trying to create a career in the hunting industry. There's a lot of pressure, and and, and I 
forced situations that uh, that I should have been patient on. And, and now it's easy to look back on it in hindsight, but uh, you know, I can't do anything about my past mistakes, but hopefully that little bit of advice will help you to avoid future mistakes. No, I think that's exactly what I needed to hear. Uh, and wanting to have success really to me is being able to, I, I've been getting better and better and better with this patience deal and, and looking at a situation and trying to assess and making a good stock and, and enjoying that entire experience for sure. Trying to focus on the, or the, the success sent to me would be making improvements on a last failure. And that's what gets really enjoyable when I learn something from the last bull that I bugled in and I messed it up because I went right instead of left and learning from that the next time and getting yet just a little closer, outsmarting that animal a little bit, a little bit more seems to be what one of those pieces that I get a lot of enjoyment out of. Oh yeah, that was awesome. That was awesome. So, um, yeah, the, the, uh, that, that's good advice. So I want to, I want to move on. Uh, Uncharted was the show of yours that, that really can, and, and like most connected with, or uh, really enjoyed the most for sure. Uh, I, uh, enjoyed, uh, hunting adventures as well as, as the professionals, uh, been watching that since I was young, young, young and, uh, Uncharted just was something that was nobody had ever seen. And obviously this was, it was absolutely new, uh, seeing species hunted. I didn't, we didn't even know existed. Uh, and so you've kind of gone to the far end of the world. You've seen all these hunting cultures. Uh, you've seen the hardest hunts to get to in the world and to hunt. Where did you see hunting have the greatest positive impact on people? Oh boy. I mean, you know, there's, the general population, which are, you know, they're just not affected by it one way or another. 90% of the people are not hunters. They're, you know, and, and the vast majority of those are urban dwellers. So, so they don't, you know, when you say it affects people or where hunting affected people positively, um, it, it's a pretty point specific question because people in New York city don't care. I mean, they, they yeah. may care. They may say they care. They, they join, you know, send money to the humane society or, you know, they, you know, might say at a cocktail party, oh, that you know, the hunters killed that animal. That was terrible. Whatever. They, they, they don't really care because they're not there walking the walk. So, so hunting does not have a positive impact on most people because, as I said, they don't care. But where where I've seen it have incredible positive impacts uh, are down in in you know or, or not down, but in places where indigenous cultures. Um, hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, you know, I don't want to say are given control of the animals, but 
where the governments recognize that the indigenous peoples of that area have a right to um, benefit from the natural resource or natural renewable resource, which is wildlife. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm thinking Namibia, um, you know, along the Caprivi Strip, I'm not sure what they're calling it now, but, uh, you know, they, they have, Namibia is fairly well advanced in, in their outlook on wildlife. So they, they've turned over the management of, of the wildlife in uh, a tribal area to that tribe. And therefore, the, that tribe benefits from, you know, the economic impact of hunters coming in. Uh, so so it, it's a classic case of, you know, imagine a, a tribal person having 10 goats, and, and they're really hungry, their family's hungry, and, and the cassava crop's not ready to harvest. They can go kill a goat, but then they're going to have nine goats. Or that, you know, that person in that tribe can go and kill an antelope, you know, maybe, maybe a blue wildebeest, and, and bring it back to his family to eat. You know, if every, you know, that's what's going to happen. Every single family that has 10 goats or eight goats, whatever number is, they're going to kill a wildebeest rather than kill their own, you know, their own domestic um, animals because that's their wealth. You know, that's their savings account. Why would they kill one? Now, when you have everybody doing that in that area, wildlife gets decimated. You know, there's snares everywhere. You know, generally they're not using firearms. Um, everything dies. It doesn't matter. Warthogs, fall, you know, giraffes, anything that's caught, caught in those snares dies. And, you know, they, they may even poison uh, ponds to kill the animal. You know, if it's a type of poison, they can still eat the meat because the, the wild animals are only worth the value of a hamburger. You know, that's all it is to them is, is a meat. Now, when they are benefiting from financially and economically from hunters coming in to their tribal area and paying them a thousand dollars, you know, to the village to be able to hunt that same wildebeest, you know, it's just common sense that they're not going to go kill that wildebeest for five dollars worth of bush meat. Right. You know, it's a thousand dollars. You know, if they get twenty hunters in there, they get twenty thousand dollars. Well, twenty thousand dollars into the tribal coffers pays for a new school. It pays for a teacher. It pays for a doctor to come by more than just once a week to look after their their health. It pays for roads. It buys a vehicle, even maybe not a good one, but it, it buys a vehicle for the village. And that's just from twenty hunters. You know, those hunters might come and and they may take four or five animals each, different species. So so these tribal areas in Namibia are benefiting dramatically, economically, financially from hunting. And their lives have improved, the quality of their lives have improved because of that. And And the net result for the wildlife, which is what hunters care about, is that there's more wildlife and these tribal you know, people are looking after these indigenous people are, are looking after the wildlife now. They're they're stewarding over the wildlife. They don't let somebody in the village go kill one of those wildebeest because that takes a thousand dollars out of the communal coffer. You know, and and really they get the meat anyway because when a hunter comes, you know, the hunter doesn't take the meat back to North America. The the hunter leaves it there for the village. So they not only get 
the benefit of the thousand dollars, they also get the meat. Mm-hmm. So they they start looking after the wildlife as if it's their own domesticated animals, you know. So the wildlife then becomes like their goats, protected, and and it, 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 you know there that's just one case. This, this is going on all over the world. Uh, the ajitos down in Mexico, same thing. You know, tribal lands, and and you know we we have in the states even uh, White Mountain Apache reservation that you know they're looking after their wildlife and doing very well at some of the best elk hunting and bear hunting to be had so so you know i'm not saying it's the solution everywhere but um, i've certainly seen hunting benefit these indigenous peoples around the world uh, you know greatly benefit them and uh you know I, I think if we continue down that path there there's going to be uh, you know it'll be good for wildlife around the world and good for the cultures the various uh, cultures around the world. Yeah. And, and was there a culture or group of people that it just did it for you? Like you, is there a, if you, the first one to come to your mind, <laughs> I know you've been to so many areas. Is there one that you just, I want to hang out with those people tomorrow. It was there one somewhere around the world that, that just really you connected with and you, you just love, love, love those people. Well, they're all, they're all, you know, I have great respect for all of them. Right, uh, right. Our, our our northern cultures, the Inuit uh, and the Inupak, I believe they call themselves their Eskimos. They, you know, in Alaska, you know, Point Hope, the whale hunt, traditional whale hunt for belugas and bowhead whales. Uh, you know, it's just, I mean, it's it's a uh, ten thousand year old, depending on you know what what you believe, what faith you're part of. You know, it's a culture that's been living there for 10,000 years and, and some of the harshest climate imaginable and, and producing some of the greatest works of art any indigenous culture has ever produced. Uh, you, know, but, you know, the Northwest Coast, you know, First Nations people here in British Columbia, you know, the, the boy, you know, the, the sand people, the Bushmen down in Australia, the you know the the Hamu and Kara people in Ethiopia. They're they're all wonderful cultures. Um, and and you know for me personally, uh, you know their their ethnocentric art forms are are spectacular. Their hand handmade works of uh, you know folk art. Um, I mean, yeah, we, we just we just have lost all that in our in our urbanized cultures. You know we. We're, I don't know. I don't want to say civilized because we're we're not. You know, we we're urbanized, and that's not necessarily civilized. And, and even those of us that are living in rural areas, you know, if we had to go live off the land and and uh, you know, up in the north somewhere, you know, out of Kugluktuk and, and uh, you know, the Copper Copper Mine River or Copper River, we'd we'd you would die. And, yeah. and these people survive. I mean, it's just you know, the, being with the the little pygmy uh, trackers and hunters in the West African jungles. Unbelievable. I mean, they're just so adapted and so part of nature. Uh, you know, I, I, all of the cultures, like I say, I hold in high regard, great respect, and, and could only hope that maybe in another life, if I ever return, that I'd be 
at their at their level. You know, I'm, I'm unworthy is what I've learned. I think with these these amazing people around the world. Yeah. No, and I didn't mean to have, make you pick one or anything like that. Just uh, uh, I, I think it's so fascinating to dive into each or some of those that that you just think about constantly and and uh, um, almost emulate or wish you kind of could could live that similar life like you're saying uh just something something that anyone just about everyone in north america are so far or i would maybe the u.s are just so far removed from that we are walking into our shields cabela's whatever buying our stuff and out we go hunting Uh, it's just so far removed Uh, it's without shows like yours diving into those cultures we wouldn't be able to see that or understand that even and we still can't i'm sure as much as in a in a 30 to hour long show uh but it's still giving giving us a portion of what you saw and experienced so that's it's helpful to try and get a grasp and and definitely a greater appreciation for for uh what it's like around the world cuz I've barely left the country, so. Uh, but uh, one thing I was wa- uh, paying attention to with, um, and forgive me, one of your ibex hunts, and uh, as you were lining up the shot, and, and uh, it was behind a, a little piece of brush there, there was some sticks in the way, and and uh, you were saying, "I don't have a shot, no shot, no shot." Um, and I've heard you say that many times, no shot. I don't have the shot yet. Not going to take it. Not going to take it yet. Uh, with, with cultures that are very much sometimes a, we got to get that animal because we want to eat it. Uh, or how are you navigating some different levels of, of ethics, hunting ethics, um, where you are really, 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 and they, they too, uh, very much care about the animals, I'm sure. But, um, you want to make a very, very clean shot. And I want to connect this to maybe a hunter here in North America going hunting with a, a, a group of another guy that they have some different values. And how did you navigate the conversation of, no, that's not a good shot yet. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for the better shot. And how did you navigate that conversation to, to be something that, that was respected? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the big thing about ethics is that's an individual choice and, and an individual decision. It's uh, you you can't legislate ethics. You can't tell somebody that you know it's unethical to take that shot if they think it's ethical or if they they want to. I mean, it, you know. So so I've never honestly worried about other people's ethics. That's not my problem, SCP, mm-hmm. somebody else's problem. Um, and, and, and it's, I know who I am. I know, you know, I, I, I'm making my own decisions. It's self-determination. So if I'm the one pulling the trigger, then it, it's gotta be right for me, period. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what pressure, you know, my buddies might be putting on me or I don't care what, they do that's their that's their decision if it if it's legal to go hunting you know and, and to take that animal they're licensed the season's open they're following all the laws 
at that point, it becomes who who they are on their choice of shots. You know, they're deciding who they are. So it's not for me to tell them what to do. They, they, they decide that themselves. Now, if I see somebody that, you know, has ethics that, that are so far removed from my own that, you know, I, I just don't want to be around them, then it's pretty simple. I, I just don't be around them. And, there, you know, there's many people that, that um, probably feel the same way about me, that, you know, I, I'm, I should have taken the shot. Why didn't you take the shot right then? Why, you know, you, you've got a lot of money invested. That's just an animal, whatever. I, I, I don't, like I say, it's, I don't worry about other people's ethics and, and, and their morality. I, those kind of things, you might be able to legislate morality to a degree, but you can't legislate ethics. And, and so, so it's, you know, I, I, like I say, if you, if people, I see it all the time in today's world, People are so wound up about other people's ethics. What was their motivation for doing something? What, yeah. you know, that should be stopped. Yeah. That's that's wrong. It, you know, and they should be. They should think like me. Their ethics should be my ethics. And and uh, and and they get, like I say, really upset about this to where they're, you know, there's even hate because someone's ethics are different. It's legal. You know, it's legal. It's it's not for you or me to tell somebody else how to do something what what you can do is set examples and educate and and try in a positive way to bring a a message that they understand to educate them about you know about why you do things the way you do and and you know this is your ethics but it doesn't make them right and nor does it make the other person's wrong you know ethics are ethics they're they're uh, no other person controls your ethics other than yourself. And, and you can be judged by other people, certainly when they look at you and say, well, that was unethical. You know, and, and if you're prepared to accept that judgment, then great. And, and, you know, but don't whine about it if, if your ethics were counter to their ethics and they comment on it. You know, be, be who you are. Be, be strong in, in your own values. Um, now do I, you know, what do I think personally about people with ethics that are less than mine? I, you know, I, I have little respect for them. You know, I respect somebody that does things the right way. You know, I mean, a Fred Bear way. And I don't even know Fred Bear personally, but I never did. But, uh, you know, for all I know, he, he didn't only do things ethically that I would match my ethics, but he, he certainly now as a legend uh, in our industry, you know, it, it just seems to, he speaks of ethics. I mean, the Pope and Young Club, you know, the ethics, the Boone and Crockett Club, um, you know, the, the, these are organizations that, that stand for doing things right, the right way, even if it's, you know, legal to do it a different way. So, so like I say, you, you, you uphold your ethics by example, you show people what your ethics are and um, hopefully educate them as to why this is the reason you do things and, and then they they follow suit. I, I actually see a lot more of the younger group coming up now, the hunters, uh, with with far better, in my opinion, ethics than you know my father's group. 
in sure. those days. I can see that. You know, it, it was, uh, and, and, you know, part of it is, is the respect for the animal. My father and, and his brothers, that deer running across the field was literally just a hamburger. That's all it was, was mm-hmm. meat. You know, meat, the, just meat. You know, it, it was cheaper than buying meat, and we didn't have a lot of money, so it was meat. Um, you know, I don't see nearly as much of that anymore, um, especially in this younger group coming up. Uh, you, you know, just just the way they look at hunting, the fact that you're spending time listening to me blabber about it and, and sharing your podcast. I mean, that's, you know, that that... That speaks volumes. You said earlier, you know, my actions spoke volumes, but in fact, you know, what you're doing speaks volumes to me and, and gives me hope that uh, that messaging is definitely getting through. And, and the example that many of us, you know, of my generation tried to set um, is paying off. And you guys get it. And, you know, not guys just as in males, but uh, the newer generation of hunters they get it from what I can see. So yeah, it gives me hope. And, and like I say, you just don't worry about other people's ethics. You, you live your life and do what you know is right in your heart. And, and, uh, uh, and you know, that, that's, that's all you can do. You can't, you can't control other people's ethics. Uh, there's some really good advice there that you just gave, gave me personally, uh, with what I'm sharing with my podcast, but through my work and working with new hunters, uh, trying to convey this message of, of ethics and the whole discussion. But definitely I can see again, that patience that we talked about earlier on what success means and leading, needing some maturity there to, to lead us to how we, how we navigate in the field and and how we navigate as hunters. So I, I, um, that was heard loud and clear. So I, I, I think, uh, I think I, I, I can use a lot there. So thank you. Um, what's left on your bucket list? You've hunted about everything. <laughs> what, uh, at this point in your life, um, what's, uh, what's left on the bucket list? Not meaning like a hunt, but, uh, with threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What is it that that connects you to the natural world that you are just wanting to go out and do, and maybe that's um, I'm not meaning a, a specific hunt, but maybe that's, uh, your, your grandchildren or, or whatnot. What's the, what's the thing you're looking forward to next? Uh, well, it's, it's actually the, uh, the thing that I've, I've looked forward to since I was 10 years old. Uh, you know, I, I've always wanted to be a, a writer. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've, started novels over the year. I've written a thousand articles from magazines, hunting magazines. And back in the day, you know, that's, that's how I made my living. I, but, but I never sat down and wrote a novel, um, because I, I felt that, you know, there, there's two ways you can write a novel. You can, you can go to school, learn how to write a novel and, and then become a writer. 
and and write novels, and you know that happens all the time, and 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 you know it works for them, I guess, for some of them. But uh, for me, I always felt that you had to live life first before you could actually have something to write about, something to say. So you know, I've written a novel, and uh, it's off of the you know, various publishers in New York City right now, the big guys, and and we'll see if if, if one of them bites on it. Although <laughs> you know, the the common consensus or answer I'm getting back is, we, you know, we're not interested in, in male, white, conservative writers. Um, you know, how they know I'm, you know, conservative, I have no idea, but they come to that conclusion. Uh, you know, I guess they Google me and figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Quick, but, uh, yeah. but, you know, I'm hoping that there's somebody out there that has enough, you know, vision that they're not, you know, they, they can make their own decision, not just go along with the wave of anti-white male conservative you know, uh, you know, writer. So, so we'll we'll see what happens. But that's you know on a career level, that's what I'm looking forward to uh, is telling the stories that I have now to tell. You know, get them out of my head and and do that for ten years. So we, we you know, hunting wise, we you know I, I've hunted everywhere that I've really had any desire. You know, on the exploration side, anyway. Um, there's really no, you know, I, I, four years ago, I started winding it down. Uh, we had enough hunts in the can so that in October of 2019 was my last scheduled international hunt of, of you know, any, well, any, any international hunt actually. And, you know, because they're front loaded by that, you know, two, three years in the planning, um, you know, that was, uh, that was in the, in the works. And, you know, then COVID hit shortly thereafter, which is fine because it didn't really. It's good timing. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had I, done all the traveling, you know, for me personally, you know, I feel horrible for the people that it did affect, but, uh, it, it didn't stop me from doing anything I wanted to do because I'd already done it. Um, you know, that said on the hunting side, I, I am really excited about, you know, the Yukon going up to our rogue river Elfing territory and hunting moose and caribou and, grizzly bear when I can every three years and, and, uh, sheep and, and, uh, just enjoying that vast remote wilderness for as long as I can. You know, I'm 63 now, so it's, it's hard to say how long I can go. I know I guided my dad to his last moose when he was 79. Uh, so I guess there's, you know, still a chance I can do it for a few more years, God willing. Yeah. Uh, you know, a ranch in Saskatchewan, hunting and hunting white-tailed deer. I grew up hunting white-tailed deer, so to go back out there now, you know, they've changed the rules in Saskatchewan, so I can't. I have to get a draw tag on my own ranch, which is our family ranch, oh. which is kind of you know. I mean, I get it, but it's it's uh, uh, you know when you're paying so many taxes out there and you can't can't even hunt on your own land, it's like, eh, wait a minute. Yeah. But but I get. You know that's that's what the Saskatchewan is very protectionist of its of its resource. So, okay, but yeah. but I'm looking forward to the hunting there, Vancouver Island, uh, where we live. Um, you know, going after the spring bears. I was just up last week. I didn't shoot anything, but it's not about getting an animal. It's about you know being there and hunting for that animal. Uh, so so you know that's that's really all my hunting goals. Uh, I might once in a while do a. Um, something a little more exotic like you know i i I've, would like to get all of the north american 
big game species uh, with a muzzleloader, one of one of each, with a muzzleloader large enough to make the Boone and Crockett all-time record book. You know that that would be uh, you know I'm up to 19 now out of the 30 species that you can hunt, and and uh, you know maybe I'll chip away at that for the next 10 years. I don't know. You know, not but not not any big panic or or it's not a major goal. And and then there's our museum, you know, our Hand of Man Museum here in Vancouver Island that uh, looks incredible. One. Yeah, it's it's a really neat place. If anybody's up this way on Vancouver Island, um, north of Victoria, it's 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 really truly from, and I'm speaking from just listening to the people's comments that visit. And you know, we had 91 people come through yesterday, and 87 the day or 76 the day before. Yeah, they love it, and 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 they're not hunters. They're they're just regular people, and the museum's full of of uh, natural history, you know, item specimens. You know, right right from you know cave bear skeletons and woolly mammoth skeletons and, and narwhale skeletons down to uh, you know mounted dictics and and dikers from Africa, and, you know, plus all the cultural artifacts. So so that. I'm going to be busy with that, curating that for the next ten years because there's zero government dollars and you know in this museum it's it's all you know, we finance it, Nana Weezy and I um, ourselves, and and uh, we've done all the curations ourselves, the video productions in house, and and uh, you know we'll I'll get it set up and then we'll donate the whole thing, land building contents to a foundation and set up an endowment for it. Well, that'll that'll keep me busy for the next ten years as well. Oh, wow. And then, like you say, there's there, there's the grandkids. Yeah. Got four grandchildren now that are four years of age and younger, or two to four. You know, four of them. They're all, they're living in the states. So, so that's going to take up, uh, you know, some of our time now. And and uh, you know, really looking forward to that to 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 be able to spend whatever time we can. Now we live on Vancouver Island. And, our grandchildren are down south, two in Kansas City and two just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. So, you know, it means a little bit of travel down to the States. We have our place in Pinehurst that we'll spend winters at. And, you know, last thing will be golf. I'll, I'll be working on being a, a decent super seniors golfer uh, when I turn 65 or by the time I turn 65 so that I can be competitive in, in that field. So, so you know, it's a... Uh, Life is a, a wonderful thing, and you only get one crack at it. And, and uh, you know, I, I certainly <laughs> have swung for the fences on, on the hunting, you know, that yeah. international travel and hunting that I did for 40 years. And, and there's just a time you have to slow down uh, on that and let you young guys uh, chase around the mountains. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't have anything to prove to myself whether I can do it or or not do it and don't need to prove it anymore. So I can, you know, I can have the luxury of, of choosing what direction I want to go with my life at this point. Like I say, you get one life, so you might as well do what you want to do and, and be who you are. So that's, that's who I plan to be for the next 10 years. Of course, you know, man plans and God laughs. So we'll, we'll see if I can actually pull all those, those yep. uh, plans off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, life is good. It's, uh, like I say, an amazing planet and such a privilege to have this one life we're all given. 
you know, it's, I don't want to squander even one minute of it. We have such a, a great way with words to paint a picture. And so I'm excited to see what you do with your, your writing. And then it, I kind of almost see with the museum, you come in back full circle. Cause I know you had started with antiques, correct. And then there's the hunting and the kind of all of those relics and pieces all coming back together in this museum. And I kind of, I took the virtual tour of it and, uh, I've never been anywhere near that area of the country or North America. So I, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I put that on my list of something I want to do someday is, is get, get there to check that out. It'd be quite a sight. Well, you won't be disappointed. I, I promise you it'll be, uh, it, it's, it's like I say, from what the comments from everybody that, that visits is, you know, it's overwhelming. So that, that's, uh, I take that as a good a good compliment, uh, and, and there's definitely lots to see. It's worth it's worth making the the journey up to this place to see it. Well, I really want to respect your time because, like you said, that's one thing we all only have so much of. And I'd like to ask you just one question in closing, and that's uh, just that I try so hard to fulfill my needs at home and do the best job I can as a father and a husband. And I try not to create any resentment for around me being a hunter and being gone. And what advice do you have for me and the rest of the listeners that are fathers and mothers of future sportsmen? Uh, it's really, really, really simple respect and communication. I mean, respect your spouse's, um, you know, feelings and, and wishes. I mean, it, you know, I was gone a lot. Louise had to look after the kids, uh, when I wasn't here. I mean, she dealt with it now. It worked for us because she wanted to focus 100% on the children. And, and uh, if I was around, she said, I took up space in the house, you know, which, which, which I did. You know, she'd be, you know, with the kids all day and then they go to sleep. And then I'd look at her and say, okay, my turn now. You can be with me. I, you know, I, I, I take, took more of her attention. So, you know, it, it worked for us. Um, but, but it's because I respected her feelings and it, it, honestly you know to me I, I could no more have stopped hunting than I could have stopped breathing you know it was that important to me in my life and she recognized that she respected that on the other hand if Louise had ever said I don't want you to hunt you know for I, I would have known for her to say that that it's something really really important and uh, you know I, w- I would have stopped hunting you know so she knew that respect was there for her wishes and her feelings and her life. Uh, on the other hand, she knew that it's who I was, so she would never take that away from me. So, so you have this implicit understanding that you respect the other person, your, your partner, your soulmate, enough to to um, never take for granted, you know, their uh, you know their their giving to you or, or their understanding of our lifestyle of our, our passion of our of our life um, you just you, you always you know always respect it and and acknowledge it which is the second part of the equation is communication um, I phoned Louise every single day that I was gone ever uh, I phoned her I mean if I didn't phone her it was something you know it just satellites were down whatever you know something happened um, but I, I phoned her and oftentimes twice a day, I would take the time 
you know, to go outside after dark when everybody's sleeping to get on the sat telephone and, and call her and, and, and we would chat. So what happened with the kids today? What's going on? What, you know, how's, how's life? What, what are you doing? I just want to make sure you're okay. Um, you know, it, it's, it's communication just that she knew no matter where I was, I was thinking about her and, and I cared. And, and a lot of times, you know, that support, you know, Hunter, you know, we get off in the bush and mountains and we think it's about us. And, it's, you know, there's still your family back at home, your spouse that you have to think about regardless of where you are. And, and I made sure that Louise knew that I was always thinking about her. I mean, I, you know, I, I would take pictures of wildflowers. I'd hold them with a, make a little, I'd pick them and, and hold, you know, a bouquet of wildflowers and, and, get one of the, the cameramen to snap a picture of me with holding my finger like a heart shape over my heart. And, you know, I would give those to Louise when I got back so that even after the fact, she would know that I was thinking about her when I was there. So, so you know, that's the communication part. And, and so between respect and communication, it, it you know, it can work. I mean, and, and be very healthy. And, you know, Louise and I have been married 30 six years will be 37 here pretty quick and uh and you know we were head over heels of love back then and, and even more so now um so so it's you know and, and yet i traveled up to 306 days a year actually on average for for a decade uh, more than a decade and 200 year, days a year before that i was on the road um you know so that that puts a strain on on any relationship but it's a strain that can be easily relieved with with respect and uh, communication. Pretty simple. It just you know it means you have to think about your partner, your soulmate, your spouse. Easy. Mm-hmm. No, that's a uh, that's wonderful advice. Wonderful advice. Well, uh, you you are a man of uh, integrity and class, and and definitely a true leader. So I, I all of those pieces that you're you're tell, saying are being absorbed, and and I know I've got some buddies that I told about this interview, and and they're excited to hear 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 what you have to say. So your your message will be will be shared down the road. So thank you so much for your time, and I will let you get back to your Monday and and. Uh, Good luck to you with your writing and the museum, and I will be there someday. Perfect, perfect. Well, we'll I'll make sure I'm there. I'll give you a personal tour. Oh, that'd be awesome. But all right, well, again, thank you for your time so much and and uh, being who you are. <laughs> Impossible to be anybody else. So, <laughs> yeah. But I, I I appreciate that. Thanks, thanks a lot. I'm happy happy to do the podcast with you. All right. Well, we'll hopefully talk to you another day. Yeah, I'll be here. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Holy smokes, as Jim Shockey would say. Uh, I believe that went well. Uh, Transitions could be a touch better, but that's okay. Uh, What a wonderful guy, loaded with a lot of advice, a lot of uh, thoughts that, that I don't even know how to get out of my head. Uh, or even, or even how to ask the questions to get to those answers, uh, that, that he has in his head. So, um, just very much an intellectual individual and a 
like I said, definitely a man of integrity. Uh, I did not pay for this interview. Um, I don't know if any of you know who <laughs> I'm going to throw someone under the bus. I don't really care. I don't know if you know who, uh, elk nut is, uh, great. I don't even know his real name. Um, but he's, he's got a, a whole series and he was going to charge us to do this interview. And I'm sure only a small handful of people who know who he is. Jim Shockey did not charge us a thing. Drea reached out to her, him and his, his, uh, scheduler got a hold of us and, and did, uh, um, got this scheduled to kind of get pushed back here and there, but it worked out and he called me and did this, did this, uh, this interview. So I, I definitely have a ton of respect for this man. Uh, I started watching a few more of his shows again, just to get caught up and, and just a, a really unique, uh, individual that has a career of putting together a the hunting story and in the 90s and early 2000s it used to be 20 kills and so along is the is what most of the hunting shows were like and as he started uncharted it became more of the story of the people and the story of what hunting does and and he had a, a lot of that in previous previous shows but it really is is more than just that the the kill uh, and as he talks about the what success means and and someone that I think we could learn from on as to how to how to how to live our life as a family man uh, and even from a guy who has gone 250 to 300 some days a year uh, who's definitely a family man and maybe that's what made his bond with his wife even stronger uh, just creating and being forced to create that that respect and communication but also just the, the love you have for an individual. So that, that, uh, uh, was really fun to chat with him. He said, uh, personal tour of the museum. Guess I'm going. So I'll have to make that, uh, something happen a little sooner than later and can't wait to get up there and see that. So hope you guys enjoy that. Learn something from an amazing man and, uh, sorry, can't top that. That's as good as I got. Thanks for listening. This is God's country.